It's me, David Webb, and here's a highlight from today's show on Sirius XM Patriot. Education in this nation when it comes to blacks from the early days of the nation to now is a complex history. It's had its successes, and large part those successes have led blacks in America to where they are, among the wealthiest in the world in some cases. Education is not only for the individual, but it's also for the group and the society. And that's a history that's not often told well or told properly. Now, every two weeks, we do Black History 365, an inclusive account of American history, because education for blacks in this country is a part of America's education advancement. Joel Freeman, one of the authors of Black History 365, along with Dr. Walter Milton Jr., joins me now. Uh, You can get the information on the book. It is a textbook, 10-unit course, at bh365.org. Joel, good morning, my friend. Glad to have you back for another round. It is so good to hear your melodious voice. It's wonderful to be here. Now, there's something I don't hear often, Joel Melodious, but I guess we're friends, so your bias comes through. Here, here's where we can't be unbiased, and what you and I and Dr. Milton and others that will go through this series with us over 20-plus weeks. We will tell the unbiased view of this and lead people to learn more. So let's get right to it. We're focusing on reopening schools, reopening education in America. And within the black community, we have various, uh, various efforts being taught, which I consider fundamentally wrong from the simple point there that they're not accurate, they're not honest, and they're not based in the reality of where we are today. But the history leads us here. So I'll turn it over to you. Black education history in America. Go ahead. Well, it's uh, <clears throat> what's important here, I think, is... Um take a look at some of the the legal issues that um, we have dealt with in this country because we all know that um, I mean it was back in the early 1900s that the Sabbath school started and some people uh, worship on Saturday some on Sunday and both call it the Sabbath and uh, but these schools were developed um, uh, Sunday school whatever you want to call it was where uh, people were working 10, 12, 14 hours a day, and they had no more gas in the tank to study in the evenings. And so six days a week working hard, they were able to go for free to, uh, to these Sabbath schools. And a lot of people learned how to read uh, during that time, especially during the early 1900s, and it became more and more uh, an important focus. I'd like to stay, take a step back legally, as we know that the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment uh, implies that no state has the right to deny anyone within its jurisdiction equal protection under the law. But before the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment, uh, we had the Bill of Rights, which, which protected individuals from the federal government. Now, I'll say that again. It protected them from the, the, the federal government. But once the 14th Amendment was enacted, then the Constitution was expanded to provide protection from state governments. 
So we have th- these protections from the state and the federal. And this was implemented, the 14th Amendment was in, implemented in 1868 after the Civil War. And uh, because the 13th Amendment abolished slavery, the former Confederate states adopted black codes. And to combat that, there's a whole list of black codes that uh, impacted education and everything else. Uh, the, the Congress passed the Civil Rights Act of 1866. Now, this is very important because then what happened is that we have in um, the late 1890s, we have the uh, separate but equal ruling that came from the Supreme Court. And it was a situation where a young man, a black man by the name of Adolph Plessy, was arrested by a private detective because uh, he refused to get off the uh, uh, off a car that was for white people. And he was they said, either you go to jail or you go to the quote unquote colored car. And he refused. He said, I'll go to jail. Well, it ended up going to the Supreme Court. And we have the Justice Harlan was the only dissenter on that. Uh, but everyone else, uh, they came up with this separate but equal uh, aspect, which was a dreaded decision. And it was a verdict that made segregation based on race constitutional for almost the next six decades. And then what happened is that uh, we had something in um, uh, it was the the separate car act in Louisiana, along with Plessy v. Ferguson, the separate but equal ruling that Herman Sweat decided to challenge when he sought to gain admittance to the whites-only University of Texas School of Law in Austin. And this was in uh, the late 1940s, and this actually set the stage for the Brown v. Board of Education. And what happened is that he challenged, they said that he could not come to the school, to the the, uh, Texas School of Law in Austin, simply because he was black. And so he challenged uh, and this was significant. Remember, we have federal law and we have state law that he challenged this uh, at, at a time uh, where the university was scrambling to create a separate but equal black law school in Houston, not Austin. And they were trying to do all of this kind of stuff. And ultimately, he made it to the Supreme Court in 1950. And uh, this breakthrough legal case would be an important step because he was, he was admitted to the whites only university, uh, the school of law. And then uh, this set the stage for eliminating segregation in public schools across America and set the stage for Brown v. Board of, Board of Education in 1954, which we know was, uh, it was, that was, that was in uh, Louis in, in St. Louis. And it was a situation where uh, a gentleman by the name of Brown, uh, his his children had to walk past uh, white schools in order to get to a lower class black school, and it was just terrible the the the, the, uh, the conditions on every single level. And uh, it was not simply uh, Brown v. Board of Education. Uh, they called it Brown v. Board the Board of Education because his name was B in the alphabet. And they chose that to name it. But also you have in Topeka and in, in other parts of the country, uh, there were a number. They had 11 court challenges and they started to, they decided to bring them all together. The NAACP did to organize a case which involved 13 families. And that was really uh, with Thurgood Marshall. And uh, you'd have the Monroe Elementary School, which is the site of the Brown uh, v. Department of Education. 
And you have that whole fight took place, which set the stage for uh, schools to be opened up to black people all across the country. You know, that is the historic track, the legal track you just laid out is important. And I'm glad you put that in context. When we talked about this before the show, Joel, I asked you to give us that history. And the second is the effect. And you as both an educator and author uh, and chief troublemaker, as you often call yourself. uh, Now I'll ask you to look at the effects on culture and society. Education at any level, in any form, is something we can't take away from people. Once you know how to do something, you own it. Whether it was from the time of slavery forward to where we are today, education and its effect on blacks and I would say wider, as you write, on America? Well, you know, it's, uh, it, studies have been done, and illiteracy is a ticket to prison. Uh, it's it just no question about it. And, and that's why, uh, you know, Dr. Milton, by the way, I wish Dr. Milton was able to be with us today. He uh, has, uh, he's dealing with COVID, and um, he's really struggling. And so I texted him this morning, let him, let him know, and he just wanted to make sure I pass on his, uh, his, his love to you and to the audience. Uh, so, and by the way, this is his this is his uh, peach basket, so to speak. He he is a super was a superintendent for 14 years in education for 20, 25 years. What we have is uh, Frederick Douglass was one that um, you know his his mistress began to teach him, but he learned mostly how to read from the Colombian orator uh, Phyllis Wheatley. Uh, she came over from Gambia, West Africa, in in uh, seven in early about 1750s. And uh, it didn't take her long. Within 16 months of her arrival to America, she could read the Bible, Greek and Latin classics, uh, British literature. She studied astronomy, geography. By the age of 14, she began to write poetry. And in 1773 was the first African-American to publish a book. Now, when you come all the way up to today, we have a, a, a situation where uh, you know, the Brookings Institute, which uh, has been accused of being having a liberal bias by some and accused of having a conservative bias by some. And uh, for the most part, I believe are, uh, in this day and age are, are more centrist. Well, they uh, have talked about um, the school readiness gap and uh, the misbehavior in school, you know, uh, doesn't pay off as well for black students as white students. And also one something that really intrigued me because the, most of the teachers in this space are white, about 65 to 70% are white males, uh, they, they found that the mismatch, that if, if a black student is being taught by a white teacher, that um, there, there's a different evaluation of the student, that uh, their studies showed that when a black student is evaluated by, by a black teacher uh, and, by, and one by a non-black teacher, that the non-black teacher is about 30% less likely to expect that the student will complete a four-year college degree than the black teacher. And so I think that part of the, um, the solution is to raise up more black teachers, especially black male teachers, uh, because there's something about the connectedness with the students and also the expectation and sometimes can push harder than maybe someone who is white who might feel like, uh, well, I, I'm, I'm afraid of pushing too hard. And so I think that's a part of it. 
And uh, when we talk about the the uh, gap, um, you know, in terms of the education gap in America, uh, I, I just think it's important that we we realize that uh, you know that this this education gap that we have, you know. I don't even like the term achievement gap because it's assumptive language in terms of whose achievement is it. So it's a teaching gap or education gap. The National Center for Educational Statistics said that, um, um, you know, that that black students are four times more likely to be put in special education classes, uh, three times more likely to be suspended from high school and and, uh, twice as likely to exit high school without a diploma. And so I'm thinking that it's um, what I would love to see happen more, David, is uh, to bring in more black teachers. I really do, because I think that would would help so much to uh, uh, in terms of expectations, in terms of uh, being able to train the students, to be able to have a a shared life experience and uh, to be able to. uh, push uh, harder, I think, uh, and to have the the expectation level in a, in, a, in, a, in a way that can push. But we have HBCUs, 107 of them around the country. Uh, we could go into the history of them, but we won't. Uh, we have um, uh, so many opportunities that are available. And uh, with the digital, I think the digital divide is, is there in some levels, uh, because they say that about 25 to 30 percent of black students uh, do not have access to Wi-Fi. And uh, I don't know if those exact numbers could be a little higher, uh, a little lower, but it's still a significant number. And that's why with our textbook, we have a, a set up in our ebook uh, edition where students can download it and they could go in the middle of a digital desert and still interact with it and then come back and connect with the learning management system of that particular school when they do hit Wi-Fi. And so all those things are very important when thinking about how to connect with students. You know, I'll take a point from this as we wrap on this segment of Black History 365, an inclusive account of American history, Joel, and that is if there are to be more black teachers, then there's a gap there because you have to enter the profession. But when you have a larger part and a larger segment or a growing segment of the population not achieving the level of education necessary to become a teacher, there's a gap there and there's a responsibility there uh, for parents and to make sure that their children are given the best path forward. There's so many issues to get into, and uh, that's why I'm so glad we have this textbook. Uh, But we need to look at this for all that it is, and these outcomes, you know, Joel, they're not fully defined. They can be changed, but they require hard work, honesty, rather than what we see when it's just simply pushed as a, you know, a war between, for example, critical race theory and history. And I see a stark contrast in those things. I'd rather have the real history, the current history, and the developing history be what it is. That's why I love reading biographies uh, of people, because uh, especially biographies where they share their struggles. And, you know, I just read recently again, Up From Slavery by Booker T. Washington, and all the things that he went uh, up against, uh, even the type of hat he wore <laughs> when he went to school, and his mother made one instead of going to the store to buy one, and the, and the students mocked him. And, uh, but just all of the different 
uh, challenges that people come up against. I, I just think it's uh, an important thing as we take a look at this is uh, to have people surrounding individuals that can can help to encourage them. That's why I love community-based organizations, uh, para-school programs, you know, where people are coming alongside students, tutoring, and uh, and just encouraging. And I think that everyone in our particular spheres of influence, uh, especially, I just think of there's, there's a school called Piney Woods in Mississippi, uh, Lawrence C. Jones, uh, actually, who's the grandfather of Kathy Hughes. He launched that under an oak tree with two kids, two students. And then later, uh, do I have time to share a little quick story about Lawrence Jones? Quickly, go ahead, Joel. <laughs> okay. What happened is he was preaching in a church, and uh, he was getting real fired up, and he was talking about the freedom and liberty and all the rest uh, that we have in the scriptures. And uh, about 25 white people were surrounding or around the church listening to him, thinking that he was, uh, he was agitating and causing trouble. Well, when he came out, they, they decided they're going to lynch him. And uh, just they had him on a uh, – uh, they were ready to, 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 to kill him, to, to, to burn him. And then one, guy, uh, one gentleman said – one person said, hey, let's let him talk. Well, he started sharing his story about how he had a passion to, to train black kids, especially black students, that they uh, ended up releasing him. It's the only time I know of in the history of lynching, reportedly – uh, where they released him, they passed a hat around and raised $52 for his school. And it still is in existence. It's one of just a few. And I encourage people to go to YouTube, and this is your life. And Lawrence C. Jones, the first African-American that they did that TV show about his life, and it's a, a very inspirational story, which I think impacts us today. Education is a great liberator no matter the color of your skin. Joel Freeman and Dr. Walter Milton Jr. We send uh, Walter our prayers, uh, Joel, and look forward to our next installment of Black History 365, an inclusive account of American history. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, David. You know, I think of uh, my favorite quote, of course, from Booker T. Washington, as we talk about all of this. There's a certain class of race problem solvers who do not want the patient to get well, because as long as the disease holds out, they have not only an easy means of making a living, but also an easy medium through which to make themselves prominent before the public. And then you hear from Joel Freeman about Lawrence Jones. I'll be right back. You can join me live on The David Webb Show, Monday to Friday, 9 to noon east, on Sirius XM Patriot 125.